You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Good morning. As Kirby said, uh, I have the privilege of reading from Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would recommend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momenta- this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Well, been talking about uh, 2 Corinthians. So far in this text, uh, we've had the opening and um, we've had 
But what we've been able to see is that Paul has this beautiful prologue and he talks about the great comfort uh, that he has from God, which he is able to extend to the people of God. He's then gone on to talk about in chapter two, um, it, there's a bit of a, there's a bit of argy-bargy going on and they're trying to figure out like, why didn't Paul come back and pay us a second visit? And Paul's been explaining himself as to why. Uh, and we've been through chapter two and pretty much uh, we get to chapter four today and we see what Paul is saying that he He's saying, he says, look, I I preach simply and I'll suffer greatly. Uh, And as we move through this section, we're still in a continuing flow of thought. Don't let the chapter headings throw you. We're still moving from what we see in chapter 2, chapter 3, and now in chapter 4. So far up to this point, uh, this is what Paul's been saying to the church in Corinth. He says, this is why I live and why I preach the way I do. Jesus. He is better. He is the best. Chuck out the rest, as my kids would say. He's always leading us in triumphal procession. I have a triumphal procession type of confidence in my ministry and in my life. It even comes with a dance, which those of you saw that, I'm sorry. Paul talks about how his confidence is not self-confidence. His confidence is not self-esteem. His confidence isn't a good set of podcasted personal affirmations. Paul's confidence is in the power and the purposes shown to him through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He says, I live the way I do because of this new thing God has done and is doing and will do. So recap, this is basically chapter three. He says, I live my life from this message of Jesus because I know it's better than anything else I've ever known. First reason, I'll tell you why I know it's better, because I've seen your response to it. You were changed by the message of God's purposes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I know that this message and this ministry is better by the way that God empowers it. Verse three, at every turn in following where God has pointed me, I've experienced God's power. And then verses four and six of chapter three, he says, I know it's better because when I compare it to what God was previously doing, the mystery of God's forever plan, it's now no longer veiled. We can see it in all of its glory, and it's, and it's this. And he also talks about, he says, I know it's better because when I think about like the future sustainability of this message, he says, everything else in this world, it's going to fade, it's going to rust, it's going to corrode, it's going to be destroyed. It'll end up on the garbage heap. It'll all turn to rubbish. But this message, this ministry, this reality that I have now received from God, this new thing that God has done, it only gets better and better, and better, and better. It is an eternal relationship. It's beautiful. And he says, I live my life from it. I know it's better than anything else I've ever known because he says it's for everyone to be transformed. It's not just for the Moseses of this world that get the little moment of with God up on the mountain with the stone tablets. It's for everyone. And everyone can be transformed from one degree of glory to another by beholding the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why I live and preach the way I do. It is so good. 
So good. I can say that with such confidence from my own life, from what I've seen. I know there's many here today that would attest the same. It is so good. It is life-changing. It is revolutionary. It makes the weak strong. It makes the blind see. It makes the lost found. This is what Jesus has done, is doing, and will do. So good. How good? So good. Oh, yeah. Oh, who, who, who said that back? How good? So good. Whoa. Whoa. Getting all charismatic up in here. <laughs> and I said to the Lord. <laughs> Sorry, we won't get started. You could get me going and it would, oh, maybe it would be fun. It would be fun for me. Maybe not for all of you. Um, <laughs> and now we come to chapter four. Chapter four, which brings us today from this is, we're moving from this is why to three headings. This is how we speak as ministers. This is what we speak as ministers. And this is the reason we keep speaking it, even though from your perspective, it looks so painful. So he moves from why, chapter three, to this is how, and this is what, and this is the reason we keep going, even though from your perspective, Corinthians, and from the rest of the world, it looks so painful. So this is how we speak. The start of chapter four. Plain. Simple. Straightforward. Focused, non-distracted. Faithful proclamation of Jesus is introducing people to Jesus, not ourselves. Don't think the ministry needs to be fancy. Verses 1 and 2. He opens, But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. We don't need to dress up what is already divine. Contextually here, Paul is hes even foreshadowing what he's going to later on go on to say. He's going to have a bit of a crack at who the Corinthians think are glorious in their current context. He'll have a bit of a go. There's an awesome passage, which I think I get to preach it. But Paul is, uh, he gets all sarcastic on him, which is awesome. Sarcasm's in the Bible, like love that. Um, but he gets all sarcastic. He talks about these super apostles, which are super impressive. And, you know, the way that they, the way that they dress and prance around and, and use big words and look fancy and have nice podcasts with thousands of followers and all everyone likes their tweets. And he's just like, look, this isn't what it's about. It's about Jesus. Doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to dress up what's already divine. We point people to Jesus. The preaching of our lives is not to be judged by how good or how much you delight in the structure or the tone or the humor or the polish of the sermon. But it's by the person whom we speak about. You should be delighted not in the preacher, but in the person of Jesus. See, that's how I know that I've had, and this don't do this to me afterwards, sorry. I'm not load, trying to preload a compliment here. But the best way you can compliment a preacher after the sermon is, oh, I just, I'd never realized that about Jesus. Or, wow, how good is Jesus? 
if you and I, it, I can't, I'm, I'm not drawing on any previous experience. But if the example is, it's just like, oh yeah, I love that joke that you told about that thing. I'd be like, look, that's. I'm glad you're listening. I'm. I'm even lo I love that you're here. But it's about Jesus. <laughs> it's not about like the clever jokes that we might tell. My jokes aren't that clever most of the time. You only have to ask Esther. Um, we had Mother's Day. Can't wait for Father's Day. Free license. Dad jokes all day. Anyway, we digress. It's about Jesus. This is our. This is simply our approach. We communicate simply. We're going to do the basics well. We're going to keep the main thing the main thing. This is how we speak. If you've been to a newcomer's night for City on Hill Surf Coast, this church, you know that my own personal conviction of how we are, how we are to be a, a people that are going to reach our community with the good news of the gospel, it's by holding firm to what I think of these, what, what I hope we can do to these three values. We want to be a church that is faithful in preaching the gospel, in season, out of season, when people want it, when they don't want it. Faithful. We're going to be simple. We don't need to dress it up. We don't need to make it fancy. We don't need to embellish it. And it's going to be beautiful. Beautiful are the feet of those people that bring the good news. Whatever we do, we want it to be beautiful because Jesus is in it. It's carrying the message of Jesus. Beauty in terms of the way the Bible talks about the beauty of the gospel. This is how we speak, Paul talks about. Talk talks here. This is why and this is how. Plainly, simply. And then he says, and this is what we speak. Did you see it in our reading? This is what we speak. You see it on the back of your handout. Do you have your Bible open with you? This is what we speak. The message, the ministry that gets Paul going, that gets our church going. This is what we speak. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. This is the message of hope. Jesus is Lord. This is the message of power. Jesus is Lord. This is the message of God's love. Jesus is Lord. This is the message of freedom. Jesus is Lord. This is the message that will change you from one degree of glory to another. Jesus is Lord. Verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Do you know this message, this news report that has come down to us from heaven? Do you know what is good news, the best news? Do you see the beauty of this news as being so good? Jesus is Lord. That is good news. The statement of truth. It's a statement of truth that requires considered response. This is the gospel that you need to hear. This is the gospel I need to hear. This is the message that we all need to hear. And if you've tuned out, wherever you are, tune back in at least just for this. Okay? Just for this. Jesus is Lord. Okay? This is the best news. Jesus is Lord. Th that God's plan for this world is to have his son as king over it. This is good news. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the master. Jesus is the one who rules. This is great news. This is great news. Tune back in. Follow with me. This is great news. Why? 
Because the king is kind. And the king is powerful. And the master is loving. And he's merciful. He's the king who comforts. He's a king who fights on the behalf of his people for peace. He's a king who provides for the poor. He's the one who has all authority on heaven and earth. And he lays down his life for us so that we can be included and adopted and made citizens as a part of his kingdom. What a king. What a Lord. No coercion. No powerful muscling down. No oppression. Not trying to guilt and shame and harm people to living in a particular way. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the exact he is the, he's, he's the exact imprint of God. You look at the face of Jesus, you can see God. God who says, I am the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast faithfulness. Jesus is the king. This is good news. Jesus is the king. There's a lot of other kings, a lot of other people that will claim and make claim to king and Lord. We ourselves in this life will make claim to being king and Lord. But there is a day coming where every eye that's ever lived will see King Jesus and will be called to account. And when we see him upon his return in all of his glory, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father and everyone will do that whether they want to or not. And for those that are willing to admit that when they see Jesus and when they look at themselves and they go, whoa, he is powerful. He is beautiful. He is radiant. He is glorious. He is the king. And I'm not. And I fall short. Now is the time of salvation. Now is a time where his kindness is extended and his patience is here. And he says, if you're willing to humble yourself now and ask for forgiveness, he's like, I'll forgive you. I'll make you one of my kids. I'll enlist you as a soldier into my army. I'll adopt you into my, into, I'll, I'll give you citizenship in my kingdom. You can be a sibling. You can be a servant. You can be a soldier. All that wrongdoing, all the, all the things that you go, look, I'm not proud of that. Huh. Jesus is the king and Jesus is the Lord who is so good that for, he pays the countless costs for all of the wrongdoing that we did. He pays for it from his own account. Such generosity. Such mercy, such amazing love that the king would honor us despite us honoring, despite our lack of honor towards him. Here's some good news Jesus is Lord. Is he Lord of your life? So the only logical response, if he is, is to praise and have a loving pining for more of him, to say, This is my desire. To honour you. Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. All I have within me, I give you praise. 
all that I adore is in you. This is what we speak, says Paul. Jesus Christ as Lord. And the Lord has given everything to me, so I give everything to him. This is how we speak, plainly, simply. This is what we speak. Jesus is Lord. Lastly, this is the reason we keep speaking it, even though from your perspective it looks so painful. How's that for a heading? That would look great on a PowerPoint slide, wouldn't it? No PowerPoint slides. This is the reason we keep speaking, even though from your perspective it looks so painful. Now, you may notice, seems to be that Paul anticipates their questions, you may notice that it means that we remain quite frail in our ministry. You've probably noticed that uh, as a as a non-super apostle, I'm quite frail. Afflicted, persecuted, perplexed, struck down, carrying in our bodies the death of Jesus, verses 8 to 10. He writes to them and says, we are afflicted in every way. Every way. We are afflicted in every way. Gets to the end of the day. How was your day, Paul? Yeah, well, I was afflicted. Oh, how? Well, every way you can imagine. Just all of it. Yeah. All of the affliction came on me today. Oh, awesome. You know what? I'm not crushed. I'm a bit perplexed, but I'm not driven to despair. I'm persecuted by the world, but I'm not forsaken by God. Struck down, you can hit me as much as you want, but not destroyed. It is God who decides when I leave this earth. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Why? Why endure all of this? What's going on? Well, he leads in with it. He says, we have this treasure. We have this treasure. What's the treasure? The ministry of living and telling that Jesus is Lord. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We have this treasure. We have this message. We have this ministry. Jesus is Lord in jars of clay in us. That's all we are. We're a jar of clay. We're not impressive. We're fragile. You know, a jar of clay, it is not going on the mantle above the fireplace to be like, oh, wow, there's a really nice jar you've got there. Made of clay, it's not impressive. We have this ministry in jars of clay. Why? To show the surpassing power. The surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be made, may be made manifest in our bodies. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does it mean to always carry in your body the death of Jesus? What's the purpose of your body? Well, it's, I'm always meant to be carrying around the death of Jesus, it tells me in 2 Corinthians 4. Always carrying around the death of Jesus. What does it mean? Well, what is the death of Jesus? It's a death of sacrifice. It's a death of service. Always carrying in the body the death of sacrifice, a death of service. It's a dying to save. 
was Jesus' death. It was a dying to forgive. It was a dying to oneself to restore. It was a dying of oneself to reconcile. It was a Jesus gave his life to the world. Ultimately, this means living a life that reflects the love and selflessness of Jesus Christ. Always carrying in the body this radical, self-denying love of Jesus so people can be restored, that relationships may be reconciled, people are forgiven, people are saved, people are served, and we sacrifice for others as Jesus sacrificed for us. Would you say that when God looks on your life, he sees someone who is reflecting the life and selflessness of Jesus? That's why everyone's getting funny about Paul. What's going on, man? Like, why you, Why don't you retaliate like you should? Why don't you demand the respect that you deserve? Why aren't you getting paid? How could you just let that guy just hit you in the face like that? Are you telling me that as a Roman citizen that shouldn't be in jail, you just, you've still let yourself be thrown into prison, beaten, thrashed? Aren't you an apostle, Paul? Like, chosen by God, seen the resurrected Jesus, and yet you're not using any of this to coerce and command authority over these people in an abusive and particular way? What's going on? We see Paul, he's carrying in his body the death of Jesus, sacrificial life, selflessness. Why? So that, two great words to read the Bible, see that, so that, oh, okay, here we go, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. What does that mean? We have this ministry in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Interesting thought here also. Do you see that's actually God's intended plan that our human design to carry forward the message of Jesus is Lord, it's actually meant to be frail and breakable by God's good choice? Huh? God could have made us, he could have, you know, he could have been saved by the power and love of Jesus and straight away, be like, yeah, man, <laughs> clay jars, nah. You are like tungsten, metal, steel, uncrushable, platinum lined superhumans. And you will go forward and carry the message of the gospel of glory and power. And people will look at you and be like, yes, they are the Christians. He didn't do that, did he? It's like many of us, you know, if we've, had, if we've been thinking for longer than 30 seconds after we've been reading through the Bible, we go, like, hold on a minute. Jesus came and died for our sin on the cross, and then he sends out a messed up church full of messed up people that are looking to Jesus just to be able to figure out life. And it's our job to tell the world with God that there's hope and life to come. Okay, um, God, why didn't you just send a legion of angels and just be like, believe in God? Am I the only one that's had that thought? 
<laughs> but he doesn't do that, does he? We have this ministry in jars of clay, us, jars of clay, so that the surpassing power, God gets the credit, not us. Because what's, what's, the, what's the risk, right? What's the risk? I think about this a lot uh, in the way that we do church, in the way we do our, put our services together, even the way that we have our gospel community times, even the way that we think about our transitions between songs and meet and greet. You know, even think about the way that we set things up. You know, we could be, like, we've got some money in the bank. Praise the Lord. Thank you for giving of your time and your finances so that we can pay our bills. We've got some money in the bank and, you know, we could spend it, you know, we could buy an awesome LED screen. Yeah, sexy LED screen. Yeah. You know, we could wheel it out, have a big portable truck. Pulls in. Oh, yeah, you're like church on the back of the truck church. You are awesome. you got that big screen. Yeah, and all of your band, you know, they've got like Gretsch guitars, Fender Stratocasters, big massive speaker setup. Oh, man, awesome. Awesome, right? In the world's eyes. What happens then when all of a sudden the church grows? And people are like, yeah, I go to that church, sit on Hill Surf Coast, they're awesome. What do then many of us then attribute that growth to? That sexy Surf Coast church with the big LED screen? Or just somehow a bunch of ragtag misfits who are just focusing on the message of Jesus is Lord is somehow making a change in people's hearts? Who gets the credit at the end of the day for that? See, I love not being impressive because at the end of the day, if God wants to breathe into this thing and grow us as a church family, who's going to get the credit? God will. God will. God will. He's going to get it all. He needs to have it all. And if any of you have experienced the beauty and the wonder of God rescuing your life and giving you purpose and freedom and a new life out of his great love, you're just like, I don't want any credit. You have given me Jesus. How can I give everything back to you? And so you get all the credit. So I'm sorry, no LED screen next week. Why? Because we want to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And that's not a right or wrong decision, right? That's not a right or wrong decision. Just because there are churches that have LED screens doesn't mean that they're doing something wrong, okay? It's just different. It's just interesting. It's a different context. It's a different culture. But what culture are we in on the surf coast? Oh, man, you're so impressive. I've seen your house, seen your car, seen the clothes that you wear. I've heard about the scores that your kids get in the schools. I've seen your surfboard, seen your quiver, seen your toys. It's all about being impressive. So I hope today, as a part of this church, you're like, yeah, this is great because God's here. For the message to be seen clearly, I think God has designed that the vessel should have a few cracks in it. 
We know that the musician that has the most skill is the one who can play any song beautifully despite the instrument being broken. See, God doesn't need us as the instruments to show off his glory, but he does involve us to show off his glory. And so we will at times be afflicted in every way. And you'll say, hold on, that doesn't seem fair. God's being mean to me to afflict me in every way for the sake of the gospel. That's not fair. You can't do that to me, God. Why are you afflicting me in every way? Perplexed, but not driven to despair. And I would say, hold on a minute. If that's the question you're asking, go back to Jesus. Go back to Jesus. Get back to Jesus. Get back to the cross of Jesus. He's on the cross. How did he save you? He died in your place. He suffered the judgment and the punishment of God to rescue you from eternal separation from God. It's like God is not mean. He's not afflicting us in every way, like in any in any way that wasn't going to be so much more worse than what we would have what we would be experiencing without God. God went before us. He rescued us from an even greater affliction. And the central point of the good news of Jesus is that Jesus paid it all, sacrificed it all upon himself, took this punishment that we deserved. And so all to him I owe. It's just like, okay, fine. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll take 30 years of being poor in the world's eyes or, you know, some physical pain in the world's eyes. But man, Jesus, this temporary stuff, I've got a soul that has been given peace by God eternally. I can endure anything temporarily. And not only that, not only do we know that Jesus has gone before us and that the pain that we will suffer won't be anything compared to the pain that Jesus suffered, if we're in God's family, the pain that we do suffer for the sake of the kingdom of God is not alone. It's not alone pain. It's It's not isolated pain because we go with God. He holds our hand. He walks with us. There'll be times that we just, you know, we'll, we'll feel crushed and we'll feel like, oh, this is so hard. But the, the whole time we'll have big brother Jesus lives like this. I know, man, I know it's tough, but I'm with you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You will comfort me. Your rod and your staff will comfort me. He is with you in the pain, in the valley. He's gone before us. He's with us. And then he even promises that he'll even reward us. This is how Paul closes out chapter four. We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Oh, our outer self is wasting away. Who feels that? Oh, yeah. Outer self is wasting away. I'm not 23 anymore. Our inner self, our inner self, our inner man, our inner woman, our soul is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. How on earth does Paul say that? This light momentary affliction? So thrown into prison, beaten, shipwrecked, you know, <laughs> light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things that are, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. God will reward us. We live by faith, not by sight. 
This is the reason we keep speaking, says Paul, even though from your perspective, it looks so painful. God went before us and endured a pain so much worse. God is with us despite our pain in the moment, and God will reward us for our faithful endurance in this moment. So this is how we speak. Corinthians, Sydney Hill Surf Coast, we speak simply, we speak plainly. This is what we speak. Jesus is Lord. This is the reason we keep speaking it. God went before us. God is with us. God will reward us. So with all that laid out, it's hard to find that logic in 2 Corinthians. Have a go. Hopefully I've helped you. Consider these questions. Do you know the message, Jesus Christ as Lord? As good news. Have you responded to this message? Before your lack of response decides for you. Have you turned to him and humbled yourself before him? Received the forgiveness and the fresh start he's offering before he returns to humble the rest of the world? And if you say you have responded, if you're here today and you have responded, here's another hard question. Is your life marked by this suffering that Paul has outlined in this chapter? I'm talking about the right kind of suffering. Because there's a type of suffering that is not the suffering that Paul talks about here. So there's a, there is a, a suffering on behalf of the kingdom of God. There's a suffering for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ where God will comfort you. God will give you peace. His Holy Spirit will be present with you if, if you're suffering for righteousness sake. But there's some suffering that isn't righteousness sake. There's some suffering that God is not comforting you in because he's not comfortable with you being there in the first place. You know. Some people say, oh, yeah, work isn't going very well and I'm not getting any comfort from God at the moment. So it's like, well, work's not going well because you're a jerk and you're lazy. (laughs) That's why you're suffering at work. Okay? So don't go to the Bible and talk about, well, this light momentary affliction is preparing me for a weight of glory. Like, no, it's not. You're going to lose your job probably because you're not honoring your boss like God's asked you to do. (laughs) Because you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. Because you're not praying for your enemies, even in your workplace. Yes, it's a type of suffering that is not suffering for righteousness' sake. You know, the, the financial strain suffering. Oh, yeah, really f- suffering financially at the moment. Yeah, really suffering. God, can you comfort me in my financial suffering? And it's just like, well, hold on a minute. Maybe not. Maybe your financial suffering is because you're spending all your money on to worship things of this world and not to actually make room for the worship of God. And maybe God wants you to be bankrupt so that all of a sudden you're like, oh, hold on a minute. Those things don't bring me any joy. (laughs) God's like, yeah, I told you, but I guess you had to experience it for yourself. And if that's you, that's okay. That was Solomon as well. You know, that's a guy who wrote Ecclesiastes. It's like, oh, well, I've I've heard all of the good advice, but I'm going to test it. (laughs) I should have not tested it. It's the summary of Ecclesiastes. Or there's suffering in relationships, you know really suffering at the moment in many of my relationships. 
It's because so many, you know, so, you know, because people are too busy looking out for themselves in these relationships and not looking out for others. All the relationships they have are self-serving. It's important for us to ask, that's the, not the right suffering, but are we suffering? Does the suffering in our lives bear the mark of the death of Jesus, showing the life of Jesus at work in your life? Are you experiencing what Jesus himself said about, said about following him? What did Jesus himself say about following him? He said, therefore, if any one of you does not renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus says, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, you don't need to go looking for this suffering. If Jesus is really your Lord and you're not submitting to the other self-proclaimed lords and kings of this world, people are going to be, you're going to be noticed. It's impossible not to be noticed. Questioned, confronted. You know, there's, there's a suffering which is a persecution for righteousness' sake. You know, when you get ostracized from friends or family members for holding on to biblical views, clearly defined biblical views, or maybe you're losing, you know, job opportunities or career advance, advancement due to your Christian beliefs or values, that happens. That's, that is a bearing in your body, the death of Christ. So you die to self for what matters to God or suffering for sharing the gospel. You know, facing the potential opposition from co-workers or classmates when you just want to say, you know what, Jesus is Lord. It's good news. I look at you like, what are you talking about? It's like, you go not play with us today. There's a suffering that comes with following the way of Jesus in our bearing with one another's burdens. Sometimes it can be from volunteering in specific, specific areas to help those in need. It costs us time. It costs us money. It costs us energy. It costs us effort. It's, it comes at the expense of things that we might otherwise enjoy. <clears throat> Forgiving those who wrong us, that can feel like suffering sometimes, can't it? Did for Jesus. Dying on the cross. Putting to, putting to death the desires of the flesh can feel like suffering. You know, when we make a conscious decision to, take, to make sure that this good thing is not becoming a God thing, or when those things that are good things that have become God things, we put them away out of our lives, you know, simplifying our lifestyle, lifestyles. For the glory of God can feel like suffering. Giving generously to those in need, even if it means sacrificing our own luxuries and comforts, subscriptions. <clears throat> and sometimes there's even a suffering for God's sake, for Jesus' sake, which is just the bearing with the consequences of our own sin because we know that actually it honors God to do the right thing. 
see, I still remember being at this drug rehab center. I would often go there and visit the guys that were there. And um, this one fella, he'd done a lot of bad stuff. <laughs> he'd done a lot of bad stuff. And he's going before the judge uh, on some petty crime that he committed. And he said, oh, hey, Louis, which I'm like, I'm like in year, year nine at the time. He's just like, oh, can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? I've got to go before the judge this week. And I was like, and I'm like, yeah, sure. It's just like, yeah, and I'm gonna um I'm gonna tell him everything that I've ever done wrong. Like, wait, what? So well, how much time do you have? <laughs> I knew a lot about this guy's life by this stage. He'd shared some stories, and man, did he have some cool stories. interesting stories. <laughs> and he said, you know what? He says, I'm prepared. He says, I know that I could go to prison for a really long time. But I know it's the right thing to do, and I'm going to entrust myself to God as I entrust myself to this judge. Because I don't want to constantly live with this guilt over my life. He was willing to suffer so that God may be glorified. Is your life bearing the marks of living the life of Jesus? Now, I'm not going to finish here. I want to encourage some people. See, some of you are suffering rightly. It's amazing to be a part of a church to see that. So I'm using some examples here. I know that I've pressed some pretty, you know, uh, you know, triggering buttons that, you know, it's just like, oh, just going to conveniently ignore what Louis just said there. But there's some of you here in this church, it's just like you are prepared to face ridicule at work for standing up for Jesus. And God sees that. God sees you standing firm for him in the face of the persecution for the boys. Keep going. This light momentary affliction. It's nothing compared to the glory of eternity. There's some of you that, you know, you are are facing financial strain because you are turning down the overtime at work so you can be at home with your family to honor them and to love your wife or your husband. And you're doing that because you know that God says that's a good thing to do. Keep going. Keep going. Now, for some of you, you are the token weirdo in your workplace because you know what? You just love to tell people about Jesus. Wear that as a badge of honor. Keep going. One day, your token weirdoism, you'll be the person that they go, oh, man, I actually need to talk to someone about this whole death thing because they seem to talk about it a lot with a bit of hope. And many of you, I see every Sunday during the week, you are sacrificing your time and your talents and your treasure so that this church family can continue to exist, so that we have money to pay our bills, so that we have sound gear put out, so we have fires that run, so we can pay for stands. Thank you. Thank you for that sacrifice and the suffering that comes with that. Thank you for those of you that are turning down or turning off the television to the Netflix series for the binge watch. Thank you for those of you that aren't buying into the YouTube algorithm to sit there for three hours so instead you can be a part of a gospel community or a dinner with friends or to come on a Monday night and to pray on behalf of this church family. Thank you. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? When I say all those things out loud, 
and talk about, you know, these sacrifices that we make, this suffering that we endure. We think about it as followers of Jesus, we go, hey, that's actually not suffering at all, is it? Is it? I've actually experienced that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Wow. Who would have thought I could take Jesus at his word? (laughs) It's not suffering at all, really. Because the more and more we lean into the life of Jesus, the more and more we know his presence, and the more and more our joy abounds as we warm up for an eternity with him. So church, let me encourage you. Keep running the race with endurance that is set before you. Keep looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised despising its shame, and he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Sidon Hill, Surf Coast, keep remembering him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Keep going. This light momentary affliction is preparing you for an eternal weight of glory. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.